Welcome to Interchange. I'm Doug Storm. Our show today is Perna's Dream, the Universalism of Mataraga. Our opening song is the opening track off of Mataraga, the 2020 release by the Perna Loka Ensemble for Origin Records. This is Syzygy. In case you've never heard of that word, like me, I'll offer the definition. A syzygy is the nearly straight-line configuration of three celestial bodies in a gravitational system, such as the Sun, Moon, and Earth during a solar or lunar eclipse. It can also be applied to any two things, alike or not, that are yoked together in relation to one another. And according to today's guest, Purna Bangare, this composition conveys the full force of Metaraga. Perna Bangare is a professor of mathematics at the University of Kansas, a trained Carnotic violinist, and the leader of the Perna Loka Ensemble. Metaraga is a systematic musical framework deeply inspired by ideas and concepts in algebraic geometry introduced by Alexander Grotendieck. The journey may start from any of the known genres, traverse into other musical worlds, and ultimately arrive in a no-man's land, i.e., music with no east or west. This framework combines the full range of Indian microtones and oscillations with western-style key changes or modulation and polyphony, which is music containing two or more simultaneous lines of independent melody. Moreover, in the framework, blues-style melodies evocatively emerge as the best technical and aesthetic bridges between the Indian and western genres. Most of Bangare's current compositional work is in collaboration with the multi-Grammy-winning leader of the Turtle Island String Quartet, David Balakrishnan. Joining them to complete the Perna Loka Ensemble are bass virtuoso Jeff Harshbarger from Kansas City and the talented Amit Kavatekara from Boston on tabla. Balakrishnan has said that Bangari is, quote, finding a better way to enter polyphony through the mathematics-based system and to change keys in a great subtle way without himself learning the Western system. He's adding gamakas to known Western chord progressions and nobody has done that to the level that I've heard, unquote. If you'll recall from our show, The Raga Roll, on Carnatic music or Indian classical music, Viren Murti told us that Raga was notoriously difficult to define. Today, Bangare takes up the challenge, on the way to describing how his system, the Metaraga, expands the formal capacity of the Raga. Today's show takes us from Mysore, India, to Lawrence, Kansas, by way of Boston, Massachusetts, along the arc of the musical education of Purna Bangare. And now, Purna's Dream on Interchange on WFHB.
I am Purna Pragna Bangere. I am a professor of mathematics and music at the University of Kansas. I am originally from India, from the beautiful city of Mysore in South India, uh, which uh, which is a very cosmopolitan musical atmosphere. I came to US in 1991. Seems like yesterday, or <laughs> seems like yesterday. <laughs> I was a little kid in Mysore. Yes. <laughs> Seems like yesterday. Time passes by, doesn't it? I know. Yeah. There are two notions of uh, time, as I, I was thinking yesterday. One is the physical time, which is measured by how many times we have gone around the sun, and another is the psychological time. Mm. Uh, physical time, of course, has impact on psychological time, but they can be quite uh, the discrepancy between the two can be quite a bit actually. Let me ask you a little bit about um, your own history as a musician. Also, had you been studying music as a child? Also, like so, it was part of yes, your yes. your musical first, or did math come in after that? And no, no, music came first. Music course. first as part of as part of a, an expectation in your life. No, your family's expectation is more in math. Oh, okay. Because I come, okay. my father is a math professor. Okay. So. Music is uh, is uh, well regarded in my family, and they wanted uh, their kids to uh, be kind of uh, cultured and and be musical. Uh, but uh, for me, it was a passion far beyond just family. It was something inbuilt, I think. So, do you decided to actually study the music in uh, India? It, the music is not associated to university education. Mm -hmm. It happens parallel to that. In fact, most of the Indian musicians don't have uh, degrees in university, music degrees. In fact, it's even looked down upon, actually. Mm. The music practice happens as it used to happen in the West long time ago, an individual one-on-one basis with the teacher. Like uh, an apprenticeship. Yes. Just like like 19th century, early 20th century violinists, for example, high frets and all. I mean, it, they went to a conservatory, but it was mainly for music, not a degree. It was uh, a life practice as well. It was something you would go ahead and then uh, live through, live off of, live up as a part of? Yes, that's right. Okay. Okay. So what used to happen is the student used to go and live with this teacher in his house. Mm. And it used to take place there, actually, 24 hours, oh. literally. Mm. Yes. And that's not uh, essentially what was happening during my times, but that was how the tradition was. If you want to seriously learn music, you won't stay in your teacher's house. But I did spend an enormous amount of time in my teacher's house, of course. You have to spend an enormous amount of time in music to do to be a musician in India. A lot of practice and one-on-one instruction, essentially, with my music teacher, hmm. who is a very well-known uh, teacher in India. So is this like a caste-specific role is this you know to be able to to train in this kind of music no it's not really true uh there are great musicians of all caste mm-hmm. in indian classical music in south india uh, it uh, happened after some time that certain class kind of perhaps dominated sociologically but as far as music uh, greatness is concerned. There's people from all castes. And raga is the form that that everyone would learn to play for the most part. That's right. Raga. Every all Indian class Indian Indian music is essentially based on raga system. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Purna's Dream: The Universalism of Metaraga, and our guest is mathematician and violinist Purna Bangare. 
We're discussing Bangare's formal method for making key changes possible when playing a raga. Along the way, we're hearing tracks from his 2020 release, Meta Raga, which features Turtle Island Quartet founder, David Balakrishnan. The album you have now out now, Metaraga, um, is new. It just came out, right? And was it last year? Yeah, last year. Yes. Yeah, last year. In one of the uh, interviews I read, it says Metaraga is a dialogue between the continents, and in Perna's own words, is a music with no east nor west. And I like that quite a bit. Uh, I don't know if you've read Moby Dick. It's a favorite book of mine. But the main character Ishmael, at some point in the book, says that true places can't be found on any maps. You know, it's one of those <laughs> metaphysical concepts, right? But there's a sense here where I'm thinking about uh, that with the idea of no east or no west or this place in between that exists as a dialogue point um, of the two things. And they can both disappear in that space while both uh, occurring in it at the same time. Um, exactly. Yeah. Very well said. Very beautiful summary, Doug. Really nice. Indian music system is based, classical music system, which is one of the oldest in the world. Uh, with its own grammar and syntax, is based on a system called raga music. What is a raga? Uh, it's very difficult to define what is a raga, but uh, a classical folklore metaphor that is used is ranga iti, iti raga. That which colors the mind is the raga. This is really a great uh, metaphorical definition. So first of all, a raga has a scale, but there are many, many scales, thousands of scales. But the scale doesn't make a raga. What does make a raga? <laughs> then there is something called the microtones, the gamakas, we call. So each raga has its own uh, microtonal gram grammar, and it is closely intertwined with how the phraseology is. So to summarize, a raga consists of a scale, a set of rules governing the microtones and then the phraseology and then there is breath. Uh, so if you consider raga as a human being, you have the skeleton, which is the scale. You have the flesh, which is the microtones. And then you have the blood flow, which is the phraseology. But then what is breath? So breath is how an individual relates to those microtones. So in this sense, Indian classical music is a very individualistic system within the small spectrum of freedom. Each person can breathe the microtone in slightly differing ways. So this gives uh, what I consider, what I call as a raga structure. Uh, is happening 
to a fixed uh, drone so which is a frequency a fixed frequency so indian classical music is strictly harmonic to a fixed frequency so you don't do key changes there there's harmony against that drone but it's not of a wider uh, range like in western classical music so there's no key change there is no uh, harmony of the kind you see in western classical music and hence there is a very little of polyphony but an indian musical paradigm is very much concerned about the space between notes there the complexities take place so you have a raga you have a music system which is based on raga where you can't do polyphony my desire is to incorporate this into a system where you can do polyphony and yet carry these microtonal facilities how does one do that that i use geometry to accomplish that so i uh, devise uh, what is called as a metaraga system so instead of a fixed frequency i vary the frequency i come up with a series of rules and one of the crucial ingredients that i introduce is to introduce uh, the blues version of rag- indian ragas i use that to modulate between two ragas uh, it is a key change taking the microtonal facility as well and blues like microtones that i introduce help in this It's time for a break. This is Triality 1 off of Metaraga, performed by the Purna Loka Ensemble. More with group leader and composer Purna Bangare when Interchange returns. back to interchange on WFHB I'm Doug Storm Today's show features the music of the Purna Loka Ensemble off of their 2020 release Metaraga In this segment we begin the journey to Metaraga in Mysore India in a culture both cosmopolitan and colonial 
through the influence of the British Empire. Talk a little bit about how you came to uh, want to do something different with Raga rather than continue uh, what I assume is your classical training to expand your abilities. Why, what, you know, what did you need to do that was different or why did you think something needed to be done differently? The reasons for that is uh, psychological, emotional and sociological. So let me go with this, start with the sociological, which mm. is more easy to <laughs> describe. I come from Mysore in southern India. Um, the Mysore was a princely state, so it had a ruler, a king, and he was kind of independent of the British. He was, of course, under the British, but he was kind of independent. And uh, the Mysore Maharajas are known for their extreme culture, actually. Uh, they are remarkable uh, in their cosmopolitanism. So, for example, one of the Maharajas of Mysore was a great uh, connoisseur of Western classical music. In fact, he used to go to London and he was a critic for London Times. So you can find his uh, his articles in London Times uh, critiquing uh, Tuscan in his concert and so on hmm. in the uh, 1920s and 30s. And he also was uh, a great uh, patron of even Western classical musicians, most uh, importantly, Nikolai Metner, a great Russian composer. He founded the Metner Society in London when he was a poor refugee and he helped publish his collected works and Metner has dedicated his piano concerto number two and number three to Maharaja of Mysore. So I come from that such a place and the, this kind of cosmopolitanism was in the air. So I used to go to uh, the palace to listen to Western classical musicians perform and my father has a lot of friends. They used to come and uh, when I was a kid, I used to sit on their laps and listen to the tales of Mozart, Beethoven, and so on. And then there was my teacher, a music teacher, who is very distinguished. And his guru is one of the legendary musicians in India. His uh, three gurus, a father and two sons, they were all teachers of my uh, teacher. They have a school of music, which is very cosmopolitan as well. In fact, uh, my guru's guru, Sundramayar, uh, integrated North Indian classical with South Indian classical. That's first integration that has taken place, actually. Mm. And then after I started studying with my teacher, I was told to go and listen to Western classical violin when I was from age 12, 13, for six years, six to seven years, uh, every Saturday for two, three hours. And then I come to United States and then uh, I'm exposed to jazz and blues as well, which had a powerful impact on my consciousness. So those sounds are there all the time. And when you are practicing uh, Indian classical music, which is largely improvisational, I used to go frequently out of Indian classical grammar. Then I used to experiment and then I didn't really know what to do with this kind of beautiful sounds. Some six years ago, I came across suddenly a moment of epiphany, if you can want to call it. Uh, I suddenly realized oh, there is a structural way in which you can go about. You can go about this in a very structural way using this geometry that I was studying. And then I suddenly saw the light and I started formulating it and then trying to experiment with uh, new sounds. And it develops into a formalism and you come up with sounds and a system of grammar and syntax where you produce music, which is no man's land music. Mm -hmm. 
That's how I came to Metaraga. You are listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Purna's Dream, the Universalism of Metaraga. And our guest is mathematician and violinist Purna Bangare. We're discussing Bangare's formal method for making key changes possible when playing a raga. Along the way, we're hearing tracks from his 2020 release, Metaraga, which features Turtle Island Quartet founder David Balakrishnan. One of the things that you know strikes me uh, when you talk about it is the idea of this as a system, right? Uh, and the idea of bringing the way you think about geometry or you imagine the geometry as a particular system, giving you kind of a formal structure to move around in your thinking about the music. As a person that doesn't think about music uh, in any real way or have the language for it, you know, to discuss it with you. The, you know, the questions that I keep running up against in my head is why is it hard to do that in the first place? Why I call this a system is, uh, so if you have a raga or in the Western classical uh, paradigm uh, or in jazz, there are rules. Right. There are rules which govern. Uh, you can't do anything you want. <laughs> there are rules which govern, which are repeatable. So if two people play the same uh, thing, uh, even though there may be different phraseologies, but you can still identify them. Mm-hmm. So you should be able to do like that in an expanded system. And that's what I do. How do you develop this grammar? So that comes from the geometric framework. From infinitely many uh, kind of uh, choices, it reduces to very finitely many choices from which we can choose. So this um, uh, this geometry gives you a way of doing things very precisely. Mm-hmm. So, for example, in a, if you take a pentatonic structure, uh, or the blues, Sagama Panisa, Sanipa Magasa, Sagama Ma. See that on the third note, you have the blues microphone. So, when I'm introducing the blues version of the Indian raga, that means there are, in addition to the microtones of Indian classical music, there is that on the fourth note, there is a particular microtone. And when I'm going from modulating from one pentatonic structure to another pentatonic structure, which are in the same key range, I'm introducing this blues version of those ragas. And then I go through those blues bridge. You have to do that. You can do that in only one or two possible ways. So that means it's generating a rule.
so in some sense you're trying to create frameworks that produce the art, right? So that the framework is something that you can use and, and manipulate within your own sort of individual response to the framework. It gives you particular rules to follow, but even as you follow, as you said before, even if as you follow rules, when you play uh, Bach, you can play Bach. If you're Glenn Gould, you play it a certain way. If you're somebody else, you play it a different way. It's still Bach, Right. But That's right. right. So yeah. you're creating a kind of system that you think can uh, that has produced different or new kinds of sounds that are codifiable and can be repeated and learned. And then other people can put their own sort of personal individual or stylized uh, self into them, I suppose. Exactly. Correct. Okay. You, are, you got it. To go back to uh, Mataraga, which is a fun name in the first place, um, uh -huh. to, uh, to think about it in terms of the uh, collaboration uh, with mm -hmm. uh, Turtle Island Quartet uh, founder uh, David, um, I'm forgetting his last name. Balakrishna. Balakrishna, right. This seems to me a pretty important uh, collaboration, right? There's a way in which... Very, yeah. So very can, you, can you talk a little bit about how what he was able to bring to you and what you brought to him, you know, how, how the two of you work together to sort of really bring this out or and make it, make it a viable structure? So first of all, as I said, one of the things that the Mataraga system does is to have the that microtonal facility of Indian Raga and then yet do key changes, which gives rise to polyphony. So two simultaneous voices, three simultaneous voices are doing their own different things, but in harmony with each other. So if you are in the Raga system, it's hard to do that. So when you go to Meta Raga system, I, we can do that. So I compose using the Meta Raga system, uh, certain music, David comes and then writes harmonies for that across a counterpoints. Hmm. I compose those lines, that is first lines, I mean, the first violin, that's me. So David will react to that and harmonically and write, which are counterpunctual to that. This is a more closer to classical system in some sense than jazz. Okay. I'll tell you why, because everything is written down. So for example, can we listen to something? Sure, please.
So as you see, there are three voices here. Me on the first violin, uh, that is the central melody, and then David Ken violin and bass, uh, Jeff Harshberger on the bass. Mm-hmm. As you can see, that um, that main melody is written by me, and that is very contrapuntal. It's it's not fixed to any key, so it's moving across, mm. actually. Mm-hmm. And David wrote his part, and then it's put together. Was that a song of the album? It's a triality, yeah. too. There's kind of been a popularization of uh, the Indian into Western um, mm-hmm. uh, popular music as much as anything else as well, right? Uh, from the 60s forward, Coltrane in particular, right? It was a John Coltrane tribute to Coltrane's Alabama on your album, uh, Metaraga. What makes that particular infusion of Indian classical or, or, you know, the classical music that you're playing into this jazz composition? What does it do to it? How does it change it? Why are the changes interesting or important? You know, I mean, obviously it sounds like Alabama. One can react aesthetically to this. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's beautiful. So let me just uh, uh, go to Alabama itself, and I will tell you exactly here. Sure. So... You see, this is uh, this we are playing Alabama without any uh, uh, any other influence. It's just pure composition as it is on the paper, and it is played by Rob Walzel. He's uh, playing uh, the clarinet, mm-hmm. and I am shadowing him closely on a different tuned violin, and I have used in other parts of the album. Uh, you can see that, and then I do some slight variations on when I'm following like a shadow. very slight variations that's not much and then what happens is once we finish once kind of we go through the lines of the composition then we improvise So the composition ends after another minute and then he takes over the solo and then I shadow him and then I do my solo. So when I do my solo, you will see that one minute. I'll come back to that now here. This solo is in more Western traditions. There's no, there's no microtones. So he, I love, love his solo. It's beautiful. It's a solo improvisation of his. He will do his solo now. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, so he his thing is quite close to Coltrane in spirit, and and uh, because he's a Western trained player, and now I'm going to pull it the whole composition towards Indian. You now I I will improvise now. You'll see that. So you see that I'm still taking the first line of the composition and I'm, I'm improvising on that and introducing subtle microtones from a certain Indian raga because this composition is fixed in that. I'm pulling the composition into those kind of meta framework. Right. So uh, is that, I mean, f for lack of a better, again, for lack of better understanding on my part, but, uh, you know, hearing the, uh, what, what I'm hearing are the oscillations. Um... It's not more oscillations. They're not oscillations in this particular hmm. one that I played. It is what is called as a slide, you can say. Yeah. A glissando kind of stuff. But it, there's a little more than a glissando at a few points. Okay. Yeah. Pa, pa, nisa, gare. Pani sagare, pani sagare sa, nida paga, mapaga magare sa. And that okay. that brings it into the Indian space then? It depends on Indian space because if I sing it without Indian space, it's like this. Pani sagare, nirisa, nida pama, gare sa. Pani sagare nirisa pasani dapama sagama pasa. Well, it sounds great. I mean, <laughs> so, you know, when, when, for example, Amazing Grace, yeah. people sing, and Aretha Franklin sings. It's very different. Hmm. When Aretha Franklin sings, she brings in a tremendous amount of microtonal facility into that loose microtone. Whereas people sing, you know, uh, uh, just the notes, uh, 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 discrete notes you can play, you can sing, but that is not the same as what Aretha Franklin is singing because there is this intermediate, the, she is looking at the handling, the space between notes. That's what is happening here.
I'd like to hear more music if you want to play more music and talk about it. <laughs> if you want to play something that has more of the, what is the, it's the gamakas that are the oscillations, right? If you want to play an example of something that does that or something that shows, you know, your particular form in, in a specific way, we can do that before I ask any other uh, particular questions. Yes, for example, I'll play one with extremely heavy microtones. So here is a pentatonic structure, blues. We call it malcons. Of course, what I sang is just the scale, which will not make it malcons. There is all this tremendous microtonal facility and grammar associated to this. So I'll play that. can see that uh, there's all kinds of uh, uh, gamakas that are happening there. I mean, not all kinds, but there are a few kinds. Of <laughs> right. kinds. And they, they, there's a dance between pure notes and and what you would call as oscillations. Yeah. Right. It's a kind of like, going back and forth. And was that a song of the album too or something outside no, of it? No, it is a pure improvisation of me played at some other time. And uh, in the album, there are pieces, uh, the question of, for example, track eight, mm-hmm. last track which is called vibration yeah which captures the complex uh, scalar structure of the metaraga that i'm playing there it's, it's, oh, it's okay. like okay. you'll see that it's you have all this indian classical sounds suddenly right. mixing with this uh, western classical sounds of 
of arpeggios and back and forth. I, I took me two months to practice that and uh, uh, like a lot of eight hour a day practice for to get that. It's mm. very hard because mm. I'm doing the key changes and then taking these microtonal facilities. That is the most radical sound that you hear in that album. Uh, I'm still not, uh, my head is still intact. Nobody has cut it off so far <laughs> <laughs> because it's uh, essentially breaking several rules of grammar of Indian classical and Western classical music, but it is its own grammar. Ah, so okay. let's appear structure. It's time for another break. This is Vibration, another example from Metaraga, from the Purna Loka Ensemble. Stay with us for more on Purna's dream and the universalism of music. Welcome back to Interchange on WFHB. For this final segment, we delve into the politics of Metaraga, which is first grounded in aesthetics and seeks a globalization of sound. Like the response of a child when hearing music, any and all kinds of music, Bangare asserts the need for cultural boundaries to melt away in the shared act of listening to beautiful sounds. Part of my own interest in this, uh, you know, is more—I uh, won't say theoretical, probably more political. You know, to have have an understanding of sort of breaking these particular um, modes of cultural production, right? So, a classical music uh, definitely comes from a, or is created in a certain way at a certain time for certain groups of people. Generally, uh, I like I like the ideas that you're talking about here. I like breaking structures open or creating new structures out of old structures. That kind of thing is fascinating. Is there a political or ethical stake here for you? It is purely driven by aesthetics. Uh, but there is there always there will be certain socio-political situations asso- associated with that. For example, uh, let us look at me. 
for example, like a person like me. I've been trained in India, in the Indian cultural ethos for quite some time, deeply ingrained with certain Western system, Western value systems as well. When I was growing up, uh, we were ruled by the British, remember, so we have an impact of that. Right. Uh, colonialism, as I call it. Mm-hmm. So that is political, for example. So, uh, but this uh, this uh, thing can act in two ways. Uh, you know, you want to be completely uh, remove all alien uh, influences and just go into pure Indian. I don't see any such thing that there is as pure Indian. Everything has come from conglomeration of various cultural influences, in my opinion. And there is this one more Western influence which has come in due to uh, colonialism. But the fact for me is the aesthetics of beautiful sounds, which should transcend any cultural or civilizational barriers. Pure sounds, aesthetics of sounds. I always have related to music in structural terms, not in terms of civilizational and cultural things. I never felt I was doing Indian classical music, I was doing Western classical music, I was just doing music. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Independent of civilizational and cultural things. Just pure aesthetics of sounds. So if I take myself, uh, how I have grown up, so I grew up in the city of Mysore, where I have all this, of course, I mean Indian and deeply into Indian cultural ethos, paradigms, musical paradigms, and then there's Western classical music also impacting on my consciousness. So my mind obviously reacts to the aesthetics of various sounds. Then I come to the United States and then I have this jazz and blues. And then at the same time, I have there is Indian influence. There's a tremendous amount of Western paradigms inside me, Western culture inside me. So, uh, for example, food, I like all kinds of food, you know, Western, Eastern food. Uh, may, there may be some proclivities, but certainly is there. So who am I? I ask, who am I? Indian, American, Indian, American. And then there is all these other influences, British colonialism, English education, literature. And who am I really? So you are essentially, you are in some sense a global citizen, a kind of a universal person. He with so many things inside and acting on the consciousness. My music should be reflecting that if I'm honest to my own experience. My music should reflect who I am as a person inside, which is a confluence of so many influences. That is a very powerful thing that has acted on me since childhood. That music, there's such beautiful sounds. They are universal. There's a certain universalism music, uh, not just at a philosophical or a political uh, or, or an emotional sense, but in a pure structural sense of sounds, a psychostructural sense. In some sense, there's a psychology involved in this, how we react to things. Everybody reacts to things with their own psychological makeup. You're listening to Interchange on WFHB. Today's show is Purna's Dream, the Universalism of Mataraga. And our guest is mathematician and violinist Purna Bangare. We're discussing Bangare's formal method for making key changes possible when playing a raga. Along the way, we're hearing tracks from his 2020 release, Mataraga, which features Turtle Island Quartet founder David Balakrishnan.
so i have this vision of a global globalization we talk about globalization only in terms of economic globalization but removing barriers trade barriers well i have some own some my own view of that which is essentially uh, uh benefiting a few people in certain capitalist structures but when it comes to music there's a globalization of consciousness musical consciousness why can't that be the case that's a poly- is that a political thing yeah maybe it is political thing but it is an aspirational uh, thing for a a person to be without east or west in human beings I mean, we react to sounds as child when we react in fact we should learn from children young children you expose them i can remember my earliest memories when i was 4 years old very clearly and i experimented with my little son as well and he was little and they react to sounds in a structural way in the sense they listen to sounds and deal with it intuitively not do they know that this is from coming from south indian brahmins and this coming from western christians or jewish music no they don't they listen to music purely in structural terms namely intuitively and they relate to sounds how the notes are related to each other they follow it that way right. so we should be able to do it from a little high i mean in a certain higher standpoint of view in the sense it's not just intuitive but you are also analytical about it it, it is like having nations without visas without borders right. imagine how nice and beautiful it would be right. right so that is the vision here my universalism and you're in the center of the united states in kansas <laughs> a center of the united states in kansas and i must say that united states uh they say it is a failed mel- melting plot when it comes to sociological uh, issues and political that may be the case when it comes to music united states is the melting pot of world cultures in music it, it is a there's like a 15 20 genres of jazz this mm-hmm. everything coexist they cross fertilize cure us to new things when it comes to music united states is the place for me it's uh, the breadth of musical appreciation among Uh, citizens uh, among us americans and the melting pot nature of the cultural ethos how blues has impacted every other in uh, american system of music right. it's kind of uh, the canvas on which many things happen rock and roll you know yeah. jazz yeah. rock everything is influenced in a strong way from blues and uh, and its uh, subsidiaries and so this has integrated one more thing here and uh, there's so many diverse musical paradigms coexist they cross fertilize and curate to new music perna i think you're exactly right and i think it's one of the reasons that the us has really pushed arts and music in particular out of actual education to me is partly because of what you're saying you know partly the ability of music to do this kind of thing is dangerous to people who are you know in power and believe in certain governmental structures um so i entirely agree that i think that we can think musically for how we can organize politically yes in fact i sometimes wonder whether we should fashion political theories after musical how the way people listen to music and how the melting pot nature of music Uh, can it be actually uh, made into political structures yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and relate uh, uh, to human beings yeah. uh, relate human beings in that way yeah. i sometimes wonder no. i have this dream you know <laughs> you know it's possible to do this in music why is it not possible here uh, right? but of course it's, it's very complicated and naive perhaps but that's my wish sometimes i like it it's we'll call it perna's dream it'll be the next album <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> 
That's our show. We'll close with Triality 3, a final track off of Metaraga. Thanks to Purnabangare for giving us lessons in Metaraga and for explaining Raga in the first place. And thanks to Veer Murti for introducing us to this artist and his music. I'm Doug Storm. I produce Interchange. Cade Young is executive producer. This is Bloomington, Indiana's community radio station, WFHB. Thanks for listening.